0: Researchers and clinicians will be gathering in Seattle June 6 through 10 for Sleep 2015, a joint meeting of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the Sleep Research Society. It is the largest gathering of sleep medicine physicians, sleep and circadian researchers, and health professionals in the sleep field. We spoke to Chris Winter, a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and a board-certified sleep specialist with a background in neurology, about our understanding of sleep today, how genetics and digital health technologies may be altering our understanding of sleep, and what we should do to get a decent night's rest. Chris, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. As the Sleep 2015 meeting is set to begin in Seattle June 6th, perhaps you can begin by giving us a sense of the state of sleep how big a health problem does this represent and how broad are its ramifications
1: i think sleep impacts everything um i think that what's great about the time we're living in right now is there's becoming a very increased awareness not only in terms of the difficulties and problems we can have with sleep but ways we can enhance Sleep and and make it better. Understand more things about it. There's more consumer-grade sleep devices than there've ever been before. So I, I really feel like it's sort of a a sleep renaissance. I mean, it's a it's a relatively new specialty, and you know, when you look at things like cardiology or you know pulmonology, but it's it's really it's really hitting its stride, I think, right now.
0: Well, how well is the science of sleep understood today? Do we understand the s- sleep and, and the mechanisms that might disrupt it? We do.
1: I think there's still lots to learn, um, but I think we, the, the understanding we have now about sleep, uh, sleep apnea, uh, even, you know, things like narcolepsy, uh, we, we have much better understandings of, of those things now than ever before, and those understandings are really translating into exciting research, uh, new drug development, a new tre- techniques for you know, dealing with certain sleep difficulties—it's just a lot of a lot of um, influence and, and and understanding is leading to a lot of positive things. So it's 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 a really, like I said, a very exciting time.
0: You talk about this being a, a renaissance uh, in, in sleep, but I also think of this as being a, a renaissance in, in the study of the brain, where we're seeing a, a new era of brain research. Thinking here of the Brain Initiative, among other work. Is this opening a door to a better understanding of sleep? Do you expect this to have a, a fundamentally different understanding of sleep, say, in ten years than we do today?
1: I think so. I mean, when you look, it's it's interesting to look at the the chronology of sleep research and the real pioneers of the field. You know, it almost started as a psychiatric exploration, um, and then with the understanding and, and of, of sleep apnea and Colin Sullivan's, you know, first CPAP device, it really moved quite sharply into the direction of pulmonary medicine. And it's really been, you know, over the last several years that people have really looked at sleep and, and, and thought of it as, well, hey, this is a, this is a brain phenomenon. Sleep is, is all about, neurology and the brain and and how it c- controls vigilance and sleep mechanisms so you know things have kind of come back around to being more of a brain focus not to disparage our you know fine pulmonary colleagues or dental colleagues and all I mean, everybody everybody has a seat at the table but I think that with the understanding of the the brain and its role in sleep is really sort of open new doors.
0: Well, we, we've seen genetics reshaping so much of medicine today. Is this touched on sleep at all?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that the genetic tendencies of certain sleep diseases are, are being much more explored now than they were before, and, and this may, you know, I think, very soon lead to better diagnostics, but in the future, who knows, maybe therapies as well too.
0: Well, in terms of cause and effect, do, do sleep problems tend to be the problem in and of itself or is it usually a symptom of something else, of, of some other medical issue?
1: Oh it can it can definitely be both. And I, I think that, you know, when when we're looking at patients, you know, we sort of refer to either, you know, is there a primary sleep problem going on or is there another medical issue that's that's occurring that as part of that either features some sort of uh, sleep disturbance or uh, some element of fatigue so you know one of the first things that we try to do when we're looking at patients is to figure out you know does this person in fact have something wrong with their sleep um, is this person sleepy or really driven to sleep or is this some sort of more of a generic kind of fatigue or lack of body energy I mean all those things are really important questions to answer uh, as you try to get to the core of somebody's sleep problem. But the, the short sure answer to your question is definitely both. There are, there can be both. And that's what's so fun about sleep is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a field within itself. And, and, you know, I really call myself a neurologist that just focuses on sleep, but it's impossible to sort of extricate sleep from other neurological problems, you know, Parkinson's disease has very unusual and important sleep components. Um, You know, lots of individuals with sleep problems are manifest as having migraines. So, you can never fully separate yourself out from other disease states when you're dealing with sleep.
0: You've given a a TED Talk where you called insomnia a lie. You you also say you'd like to see people do away with the phrase, I can't sleep. Can, Can you explain? Yeah, I mean, I, I,
1: I, I, obviously the, the title was, was 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 meant to be um, stirring. You know, I was looking at somebody sent me a link. Uh, a personal friend sent me a link of a device um, that you know you wear on your head and it plays these tunes and and they're supposed to help you sleep and, and maybe they do. Um, but you know, this was sort of the title of the article. It said something like. Finally, you know, a device that can help those who can't sleep. And and my point of the TED Talk is we really need to redefine the way we talk about sleep problems. Uh, I have been involved with sleep for about 23 years. I've never met anybody who can't sleep. I meet people all the time who have difficulties with their sleep or not satisfied with their sleep. But as soon as a patient and a doctor start talking in terms of can't sleep. The lie is you're, you're creating this sort of therapeutic intervention based upon something that's not really true. Um, so, you know, take Michael Jackson, for instance, you know, he basically said, look, you got to help me. You know, I, I can't sleep. Well, here, take this sleeping pill. That doesn't work. I need something even stronger than that. So basically, um, you know, they're sedating him with, with at night, but all because he's telling people he can't sleep and nobody ever really stepped up and said, you know, Hey Michael, you, I, I know you're having some difficulties with sleep, but you can sleep. I and mean, that's not really the issue. You just, we need to kind of tweak some things here a little bit. So when you're talking about can't sleep and an individual is using those terms, then all of a sudden the research about what it means to have problematic sleep suddenly becomes terrifying. You know, if you're not sleeping enough, you can develop strokes. You can develop Alzheimer's disease. And so now this person is putting themselves under a tremendous amount of pressure to sleep so they don't wake up with Alzheimer's disease. I mean, that's basically the way certain sort of patients see this. So I think it's important that we all sort of understand that the... Failure of sleep is, is not really an option. I mean, people are going to sleep. We just try to make it a little bit better. I mean, I always tell people, look, everybody goes out to lunch, and every now and then, you don't feel like eating. So I've never met anybody in that situation who said, you know, I'm, I'm really having trouble. I, I don't eat. No, you don't eat during that one meal, but in general, you do eat and, and, but people just think about sleep differently and, and there can be a lot of panic. I said, talk. I talked to somebody today, in fact, who said, um, I get in bed and my greatest fear is that I'll wake up and I can't fall back to sleep again. Your greatest fear. And that's what I told her. I said, that's your greatest fear is that you wake up at five o'clock in the morning and you can't fall back to sleep. Like, wow, that's impressive. That's not my greatest fear, but good for you. And so, I mean, I think we just need to kind of redefine the way we discuss these things.
0: We do live in a society where the easiest fix is often seen as taking a pill. Absolutely. You're you're not a fan of these. You've said this is the biggest obstacle to you helping someone sleep. Why is that?
1: It is just because it prevents us from engaging in the conversation. Like the conversation is, hey, look, you sleep, maybe you don't perceive your sleep, maybe you don't like your sleep, but let's talk about ways we can get this better. And you're exactly right. The conversation and the intervention for insomnia, it takes work. And sometimes there's a little bit of suffering before you get to the promised land, so to speak. And frankly, some patients just don't want to hear it. They come to see me. It says sleep specialist on the door. And, you know, all the little pictures of all the athletes I work with So they're excited. They come in and they sit down and they think I've got some safe in the back of my office where I keep the uh, super secret sleep pills. You know, and, you know, when you sit there and talk to them, hey, look, you know, the, the solution to your problem is not a sleeping pill. In fact, you know, here you are, you're in my office. You've been on sleeping pills for the last five years. You've tried seven different pills. You've you said it yourself. None of them seem to work. Well, you know, when do we sort of move on from the pill and start working on a solution for your sleep problem? You know, I, I always describe sleep and insomnia as more of a symptom than it is a true diagnosis. Uh, it's sort of like if you went to your doctor and you had a little bit of blood coming out of your left ear, you might allow that doctor to put some cotton in your ear and say, hey, you know, I think it's going to be fine. Just come back and see me in a week. And you go back in a week, and he pulls the cotton out, and the blood continues to come out of your ear. So he sticks cotton in your ear again, says, come back and see me in a week. How many times would you allow that doctor to say, come back and see me in a week and stick cotton in your ear before he finally said, you know what? When are we going to try to figure out where this blood is coming from? And to me, sleeping pills are the cotton. It's just you've got a busy doctor. He's got to see a zillion patients. Medicare reimbursements are low, he doesn't really have time to sit there and really talk to you about your sleep, so here, have some Ambien, and hopefully the Ambien works, and the person uh, doesn't have any more sleeping problems, but a lot of times it doesn't, so you keep refilling it, and suddenly you've been on Ambien for the last 17 years. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we hear, And, and it creates a lack of faith. Like, those individuals over the last 17 years have been sort of, Taught to understand that they can't sleep without a pill, and there's that phrase again: "Can't sleep." And it just you know. And so, patients tell me, "I'm here. I've been on an Ambien for the last 17 years. I'm here to try to get off of it." And I will usually look at them and say, "Well, then stop taking it." But I mean, there's a lot of fear and anxiety. I'm like, "God, if I can do that, I'm really nervous. I've tried it before. It didn't work. I couldn't sleep." And so, the idea that we you know, that we've developed a society that has people out there that think they have so much control over their sleep that they could you know not take a sleeping pill and indefinitely not sleep is kind of absurd but there's just not a lot of great in-depth meaningful conversations about sleep and we need to start kind of developing those things
0: well, one of the things we've seen is people using a number of digital health devices as a way to monitor their sleep and and take steps to improve it do you find these things do what they're intended to do and are they helping people ultimately get a better night's sleep?
1: So, I, I, um, yes. So what I would say about those things are this. The biggest issue with these devices are, and and you hit on it, do they do what they're intended to do? And so the question is, what are they intended to do? And so to me, most of these devices are intended to look at how much an individual moves during the night and correlate the moving with sleep. So in other words, you know, most devices that are commercially available do not measure sleep. They're measuring activity with the idea that when somebody's activity is pretty quiet, they're not going to be, they're they're probably asleep. So they do a good job of that. The problem is a patient who says, look, I'm having difficulty sleeping, or says the phrase, we're not going to say, I can't sleep, they they feel like, well, you know what, I, I need to do something about this. The pills I'm taking aren't working. Hey, maybe I'll get this device that monitors my sleep. That's fine, but is that really getting to the problem of you struggling with your sleep quality, or is it just giving you more information that your sleep quality isn't very good? Or in some cases, um, and the way I find them to be the most useful, for a patient who comes to me. I just had a patient a couple weeks ago who drove all the way from South Carolina to Virginia to see me. Uh, she, and she saw me on a Thursday and said she had not slept since Sunday. She looked great. And she looked wide awake. And, and, and I said, wow, I said, you look really fantastic for having not slept for the last you know, four or five days. And she said, well, that's pretty much the norm for me. So for a patient like that, she's clearly misperceiving her sleep. She's going to bed at 11 o'clock. She thinks she wakes up at midnight and is awake until 5 o'clock in the morning. When in fact, no, she's actually gone to bed at midnight. She may wake up briefly at midnight, but she's sleeping in between midnight and 5 a.m., even though she doesn't think she is. And when she looks at that device on her wrist, it's probably going to do a very good job of helping to convince her over time you're sleeping a lot more than you think you are. And that's a big problem, you know, twilight sleep, sleep state misperception, we call it paradoxical insomnia. It's tremendous, and when people start to worry about their sleep, it gets even worse. So I find those devices to be very helpful for those, that subset of patients. I also find it very helpful for patients who have questions about, hey, do I sleep better when I'm at my girlfriend's house than when I'm at home, or do I sleep better when I drink a lot of alcohol at night or when I don't? Like these devices are often really good at collecting data, but there's often not a great clinical question that defines it. One of my favorite devices that was out there is this device called a Zio. It was an outstanding device. The problem is and it worked really well. The problem is I think people got it. They got all this great data about their sleep, but it didn't really seem to help them sleep better. Do you know what I mean? So it's to me it's like a, it's it's like trying to get fit. And you're thinking, yourself, are saying, well, whatever you' out of shape, I'm going to get a pedometer. Okay, well, you can buy the pedometer, but you still have to run to get in shape. And 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 the pedometer might just give you a whole lot of information about how little you are running. Um, so the pedometer isn't the way you fix the problem. It's a good way to maybe monitor the progress of you fixing that problem.
0: Is there advice you offer people for how to get a restful night's sleep? Are there do's and don'ts? Sure. I mean I think
1: that, you know, for for a lot of people, you want to create a situation where the environment is as positive as as it can be. You know, so take some time to, to really create a situation where your bedroom is something you look forward to going to. You've got nice sheets, the room is dark, the room is cool, and there's all kinds of neat products. I mean I you know work a lot with patients and athletes and things like that. And so if an athlete says, look, I'm waking up in a pool of sweat every night, well, there's some awesome products for that. You know, or the person says, I really want to make my room as dark as possible. Some Great ways to do that. So to me, it's about setting up an environment and a bed that's really tailored to you and comfortable and meets all the criteria of being dark and cool and all those good things. And then after that, I think the most important thing is really scheduling. And that's the place where a lot of people could uh, create benefit, which is basically, I tell patients the most important part of your day, especially if you have difficulty sleeping, is when you wake up. And that time should be set in stone, which is the reason why so many people who are retired have difficulty with their sleep, is that they don't really have that wake up time anymore. they're They're constantly, You know, well, I didn't sleep well last night, or I stayed up and watched an old movie, so I slept until noon. Like, there's nothing really anchoring their schedule. And when you're kind of having this variable wake-up time all the time, then your brain never really understands what you expect of it. You know, when people get hungry, like at noon, your stomach starts to growl, that's not typically because you don't have enough food in your stomach. It's because your body is expecting to be fed at that time, because you're on a really good schedule. So uh, to me, that's what you want to create with your sleep. And then the time that you go to bed is much less important. I mean, I tell people, people tell me all the time, you know, I have trouble sleeping. Well, when do you go to bed? I go to bed at nine o'clock. How long does it take you to fall asleep? Two and a half hours. Then why in the world are you going to bed at nine o'clock? Like, it's like going to the going to dinner at four o'clock and sitting in the restaurant for two hours while the waitress keeps asking you, do you want to eat or do you want food or what do you want? Like, And you keep telling, no, I'm not that hungry. And she's probably thinking to herself, why the hell are you in my restaurant? Like, people do that all the time. They treat, and I can't call this as my own, but I can't remember who I can attribute it to either. This one doctor I was talking to one time, he said, yeah, my patients treat sleep like a bus station or treat their bed like a bus station. They get there early because they don't want to miss the sleep bus. And that's how patients are. Well, I go to bed, I've been sleeping really well, so I've been going to bed at 9 o'clock to try to get some extra sleep. Well, if you're not sleepy, stop going to bed at 9 o'clock. This, and so, uh, you know, to me, that, that scheduling is very important and understanding that if you go to bed at 9 o'clock and, and you're, you're in your wake-up time is going to be 6, you may be trying to get much more sleep than what your body can provide, and that can be the sort of the, the kernel of uh, what starts a you know, case of insomnia.
0: The Sleep 2015 meeting takes place in Seattle June 6th to June 10th. I've got to ask you, Chris, why is it so easy to go to sleep at the back of a darkened conference hall? And if I'm having trouble sleeping, should I just project PowerPoints onto my ceiling? (laughs) You know,
1: the the reason for that is what I tell patients all the time is I never want you to try to sleep. You know, that, that word try, I've always had this idea for a game show. We'll just travel around the country and find the country's best sleepers. We're going to offer them a million dollars, and all they have to do is fall asleep within two to three hours of going to bed. And they can choose when they go to bed. And I, and I, I think we would never give that million dollars away because now all of a sudden this person who never really had any trouble sleeping before is faced with the idea that if he doesn't fall asleep in the next two to three hours, he's going to lose a million dollars. So to me, you don't want to try. So when you're sitting back in the conference hall, you are trying to listen to the lecture because yeah, you're interested in it. Um, and that's when you fall asleep. Now, as soon as you get up to your hotel room and you get in bed, your 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 objectives are different. You are trying to go to sleep, and that, that's where we fail. So, I, you know, one of the things I always tell my baseball players I work with is if you get in bed and you can't fall asleep, I want you to picture throwing 30 perfect pitches or something like that. So give them a task to do when they're trying to sleep that isn't trying to sleep. And, you know, they always come back and say, well, I'll try to do that thing you asked me to do, but I can never make it through a pitch or two before I fall asleep. And perfect. That's exactly what I wanted you to do. And one more time she said, well, I don't really want to practice my pitching, but she, she started baking uh, banana bread in her sleep. So she would go through all the steps of baking banana bread if she had trouble falling asleep. And she said, you know what? I never get the loaf in the oven, which I thought was pretty funny.
0: Uh, no disrespect to the folks at Sleep 2015. Chris Winter, a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and a board certified sleep specialist with a background in neurology. Chris, thanks so much for your time.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week,